Give me pictures of Batgirl. Why buy a comic that might cost more than a dime? Come meet the brothers who are here to waste your time. Welcome back to the Dime Comic Bros podcast. It is just Jacob and I this week. Uh, Colin is... What even is Colin doing? Do you know? Colin inherited a very large family inheritance. Now, this is private. This isn't going out to the public, just so you know. But, uh, yes, Colin inherited a very large family inheritance, and he did what any sane 19-year-old white boy would do. He's, he, in, he's in Dubai. He flew himself to the bone. Nice. <laughs> he lands... In about 12 hours in the Pacific Ocean, just off the coast. Right next to Jeffrey Bezos. Yes. Jeffrey, Jeffrey Bezos. Jeffrey Bezos is actually going to pick him up in his own personal yacht. Ah, yes. And they're going to share memories uh, about Astronaut. Nice. Astronaut. Space boy. I heart Uranus. Anyway, my name is Jacob. <laughs> I'm joined by Spencer we are usually three guys sitting around a microphone talking about comics and movies and TV shows and video games and music and whatever else our little hearts desire to talk about because it's our show. We do what we want. True. We, we do what we want. Unless Colin wants to have fun and then we tell him no. Mostly me. I usually tell him no. You usually do. I usually feed into it. I'm like the little spark that starts the fire. True. And then it just gets out of control. More like the spark that lights up the septic tank. Speaking of California. <laughs> uh, let's just jump into the news. Um, it's a it's a bat week. Um, this was not intentional. No, it just all the news coalesced and it, it's all Batman stuff. Mm, um, coalesce. Coalesce. It's a nice word. Pretty sure that's a Hope for the Dying song. Ooh. Might be. Maybe. But anyway. I uh, have an article from thehollywoodreporter.com. Uh, J.K. Simmons is coming back to the bat beat. I hate it when articles do puns. Um, the Oscar-winning actor is in negotiations to reprise the role of classic Batman character Commissioner James Gordon in Batgirl, Warner Bros. feature for HBO Max that is casting up swiftly. So it's going to be in EU canon. Uh, Spencer is happy. Spencer pissed himself when he sent this in the chat. Because originally they had said specifically, they're like, it's, we're going to recast it. And then it's like, oh, well, this is kind of lame. Uh, but I, because then they'd have to do another Gordon. And then we'd have three Commissioner Gordons right now. That's a bit much. Two is fine. So I'm happy with this decision. I, I like him. I thought that was good casting. I want to see more. Whatever they do with this Batgirl movie, I'm probably going to like it, to be honest. I just want Batgirl content. Like... She's great. I was hoping they were going to cast Commissioner Yindel instead of Commissioner Gordon. I mean, could you really do this movie without Jim, though? I in don't some know. Capacity? Maybe not. I just pulled that out of my ass on the spot. Not even as Commissioner, but you got to have him in the movie somewhere. And this means maybe, 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 maybe we get more Batfleck moving on before I nut. <laughs> From CinemaBlend.com, DC fans were thrilled to learn that the Flash movie had started production and have been eager for any reports from the set. The most recent set of photos debuted Batman's new Batcycle for the project, but it appears that vehicle was the catalyst behind an injury. 
namely a crew member allegedly collided with the bat cycle while filming across the pond. That doesn't read. <clears throat> that doesn't read well. Namely, a crew member. No, yeah, there needs a, to be a name there. Well, I mean, obviously, the it, 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 from <clears throat> further information, it was the cameraman. Ah, an unnamed cameraman, namely. Yeah. The official report from Warner Brothers released to Cinema Blend reads, colon, quote, an accident occurred while filming The Flash where thankfully nobody was seriously hurt. The crew member involved received immediate medical attention as a matter of protocol. Oof, that's uncaring. We take the well-being of all our employees seriously and have strict health and safety procedures in place on all productions, end quote. I watched the video of the aftermath and they actually were very on top of it like we didn't have footage of the incident itself but it was like the ambulance was there instantaneously they cleared out right off to the hospital it was, it was pretty impressive that's more caring than their statement makes it seem well yeah because they want to be like everything's good it's all fine because set photos you never know if they're set photos or set photos you know like it, they're paying somebody to leak photos because it's good publicity or if it's actually just some random passerby but the new bat cycle looks heckin' cool. But for the company to come out and be like, we always care about our employees because that's what our freaking mission statement says we have to do instead of, no, something happened and we were on top of it and they were in the hospital immediately. It, it just sounds yeah. way freaking too formal and uncaring i think it's probably just because they don't want to have like a we know you you can put a name behind who wrote it versus this is just overall this is the matter of fact what's going on versus if you put out an official statement but it, it's clearly written by one person you know like a and we care about x and this is exactly it just this is the cookie cutter it's the company. something happened statement yeah at least some attention's getting thrown on it. I remember there was a couple of years ago, there was a big lawsuit over one of the, I believe it was a stunt performer for Domino in Deadpool yep. 2. I believe yep. she died. Yeah, there was a huge lawsuit over that. And that yep. came out after the movie came out. And right. it, it was a huge, so I, I'm glad that they're putting more attention on this, which is good. And then yep. there's uh, something I just wanted to notate. The same stunt performer who gets to play, who, who's the Batflex stunt double is also the stunt performer for Robert Pattinson. The dude gets to wear two bat costumes. That's pretty cool. That is cool. Yeah, it's pretty pretty heckin' cool. Speaking of also heckin' cool from DCComics.com, this December, three-time New York Times bestselling artist Jacques from The Batman Who Laughs and Batman The Black Mirror brings his signature style to the blacked-out streets of Gotham City in Batman One Dark Night, that is Night with a K, a three-issue prestige format miniseries from DC Black Label. Written and drawn by Jacques, the miniseries will de debut in print and on participating digital platforms on Tuesday, December 7th, 2021. You misread it. It is Batman One Dark Knight. Continue. Canute. I think most readers know how much I love drawing Batman, so I was thrilled by the prospect of marrying the visual take of my own storytelling for Batman One Dark Knight, said Jacques. I wanted to tell a propulsive, tight action tale set over one typical night in Gotham City, except when a blackout strikes, it's a night that goes very, very wrong for Batman. I can't wait to share more with everyone soon. Uh, when a simple GCPD escort goes sideways, Batman finds himself on the wrong end of Gotham City in the middle of a heat wave with a supervillain in tow. Follow Batman as he traverses block by block across a pitch-dark Gotham City... <clears throat> while dragging a highly difficult EMP to his permanent home at Blackgate Prison. The dark corners of Gotham City contain many surprises, and EMP plans to deliver 
many more shocks before the night is through. One, that is the dopiest villain name, and I love it. Two, the art for this thing looks freaking amazing. Very dark. This makes me think of, I believe, issue three of The Dark Knight Returns, where it blacks out and there's fires through Gotham. Yeah. I kind of have that as a mental picture, but I can imagine with this being drawn by Jock that it's going to be much darker and spooky and whatever else. I'm interested. And it's only three issues. So one thing that I am... Not, I have zero issues with this project. I'm actually looking forward to this immensely. Um, this and uh, Batman the Imposter are, 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 are looking very interesting. You know, they're more actual, unique stories. But also, Black Label is basically just Batman, which is expected because it's DC. Everything's Batman. But I swear to God, 80% of the Black Label books are Batman books. Oh, yeah. <sighs> we need... Get a little bit of variety, please. Deathstroke? Ooh. Black Label? Oh, yeah. Maybe a Swamp Thing? And just anything. Spook? Literally anything. I want scary stories. Well, uh, yes. They should be adult and scary. Or booby. Nah, I just want scary. What about scary booby? Okay. More Harley Quinn books, please. <laughs> um. What about Poison Ivy as a scary booby? Could we get a proper sequel to Harleen with Poison Ivy in it with more scary booby? Maybe. Please do it. Mm. Last piece of news, unless Spencer tacked one on without telling us like he usually does. Nope. Last piece of news. From DCComics.com. The first project to come out of the narrative podcast agreement between DC, Warner Brothers, and Spotify, Batman Unburied is executive produced by David S. Goyer, The Dark Knight Rises, Man of Steel, The Sandman, and his company Phantom 4. Announced late last year, little was known about Unburied's story other than a promise that it would explore dark aspects of Bruce Wayne's psychology. However, now we have our first synopsis teasing a much different take on The Dark Knight than what we've seen from Goyer in the past. Colon. Batman Unburied is a psychological thriller that takes us on a new journey deep into the mind of Bruce Wayne, introducing a slew of dark twists and turns with a number of classic Batman super hyper villains. Super hyphen villains. Dang it! Batman super hyphen villains. We have such an ongoing joke of every little writing punctuation. Thing. We're very dumb. I'm very punctual with my punctuation. When audiences meet Bruce Wayne, he is a forensic pathologist working in the bowels of Gotham Hospital and tasked with examining the victims of the Harvester, a gruesome serial killer preying on Gotham's citizens. Not only will the super-hyphen hero be forced to face his own mental demons, but he will also have to overcome them in order to save the citizens of Gotham as his alter-hyphen ego, Batman. This has turned into more of a joke than I thought it would. <laughs> Along with releasing the news synopsis, Spotify also made two intriguing casting announcements. Winston Duke, hyphen, that's right, of Black Panther, Us, and Spencer Confidential fame, hyphen, 
will lead the Batman Unburied cast as Bruce Wayne. He'll be joined by none other than Jason Isaacs, Harry Potter, the OA, Star Trek colon Discovery, as Alfred, Bruce's unflappable butler and right-hand man. I am super hyped for this, mostly based on the casting. Winston Duke is really freaking cool, and he has an excellent voice, and I think he's good fit for this, and also throwing Bruce Wayne into an actual role doing something instead of just being a rich prick is cool. See, that was the part I got hung up on, was really? Bruce Wayne being a forensic pathologist. It's it's something new. It made me think about what our media has been doing to Sherlock Holmes for the last 50 years, where he does anything in any timeline. You're not wrong. Why did you have to point that out? But you're kind of right. Yeah. I hate you. I know. And that's why we do this show. I'm just glad we're finally getting some progress on this. I just, I, I want, I want these podcast. Speaking of hating me, shall we talk about Blade Trinity? Shh. Really? Please hold. So Blade Trinity is a 2004 uh, action horror film directed by David S. Goyer, who also wrote the screenplays to Blade and Blade 2. Um, so do you wanna do you wanna jump into this first? <laughs> can you shat out a simple synopsis for me? Sure. I can shat it out just like the directing for this movie was shat out. Um so Blade is doing Blade things, um, and then a subcult of vampires find Dracula. Just, they, they find him, they unbury him, he's alive now. Um, and then through various plot shenanigans, uh, Whistler dies, but also we meet Whistler's daughter, also Whistler, and her band of merry nerds, and also pre-Deadpool Deadpool. Um, and they... <laughs> but not <laughs> the Deadpool you know. It's the pre-Deadpool Deadpool uh, from X-Men Wolverine's origin. Anyways, back to Blade Trinity. Um, but, so then but, so, so then but, Whistler but, and but, Deadpool Light take over the plot with their nerd friends, cameoing Blade, um... They team up with the cameo of Blade, Wesley Snipes as Blade, without the sunglasses. And then they fight Drake. And did I mention that Dracula goes by a different name now called Drake? And also he's hot. Um, and also has no stage presence. And then he kills him. Who and kills who? Uh, Blade kills Drake. And then the movie's over? And now we have a new team set up for new adventures. You missed the the ten minute. Uh, gearing up scene. True. Before Blade kills Drake. Yeah. That was an important part of the plot. True. For ten whole minutes. I think the, not on a structural level, purely on a viewing level. This movie is hijacked by the new cast members instead of it being a Blade movie. And they're not that great, so it really doesn't help. It's not like a passing the baton or whatever. It's just 
some shenanigans happen behind the scenes and the script and whatever, so we're just mostly featuring these new characters, and Wesley Snipes shows up sometimes. So on a viewing level, that makes it kind of boring. But please, I, lay I, into this thing. I have... I'll get into it later. Uh, the opening scene just set the mood for me. I was just memeing through the whole viewing. This was my first time viewing it. So, like, the first shot is set in a desert setting, maybe. There's sand everywhere, and there's army dudes with guns walking upstairs into, like, a really round, weird, space-looking doorway. But and the I'm vampire like, flipped off the sun, so you know he's a vampire. And I'm like, <gasps> Stargate? Did we start the wrong movie? And then one of them takes their helmet off, and he's got Vulcan ears, and he looks like a young Spock. And I'm like, what are we watching? <laughs> yeah and, and then then it cuts to an interview with some late night talk show host or whatever interviewing a doctor about some hippie health book that he's got and they're talking about hippie health topics and then vampires and it was like whoa what 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 yeah um so to overlay on top of that all of that is an opening credit sequence as well Yes. Which was some of the most disgusting editing I have seen in terms of opening credits. It's like when... I can't even describe it. The, 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 it's the opening credits being like really jarring and covered in CG and shitty editing is the meme. That's been a thing. The mid-2000s were not nice to superhero movies. Um, the opening credits are just disgusting. These boring, generic fonts, it's all... Whip, pan, whoosh, wah, whoosh, well, and I, uh, fine enough action sequences going on, which is cranked up to, like, 175%. Just, this is a very dumbed-down movie. Um, aside from some questionable ideas, which I'm sure we'll get into, the, the, uh, the first couple of scenes really give it off. It's very, very dumbed-down, and then the camp is cranked up up but it then is cringe and then the action is also cranked up but that doesn't mean it's more intense or it's faster it's just shittier there's just way more of it and it's more you know the kicks are so big and then they fly so far it's so cringe it's very over the top cringe also he doesn't wear sunglasses for, like, the first third of the movie. I hadn't noticed that, and I am very upset with He's myself. inside. However. And, and, and he's not wearing sunglasses for a while. To counter that point, uh, he says bad words now. He said bad words before. He did not drop the MF. Before. Some motherfucker's always trying to ice skate uphill. First movie, right there, boom. What? You're an idiot. It's, like, the best part of the movie. All right, he drops way more language in this one. I can definitely agree with that. But it also feels more like a PG-13 movie. Yes. It feels like this was made by teenagers. It, yeah. It, but I think that was more fitting for the Blade character because he had a filthier mouth. It was kind of weird. I don't... I don't know. I don't... I didn't notice him swearing that much more. I don't care, really. He doesn't strike me as the type that doesn't curse. That's for sure. No, but, but I think... The increase was enough to fit the character better. I suppose. 
Perhaps. I don't know. I, I have no strong feelings on that. All I know is once the first action scene was over, I went, this movie is dumb. It's just big and loud and not very intelligently directed or written. Big oof. Sorry, 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 David. Continuing from uh, my point about the interview in the beginning, this whole movie is very choppy. There, it was quite often that someone would be saying something and then, boom, they're talking about something else in, like, the same sentence. And it's like, what? Where, where did that come from? Yeah. Or, or something would happen and it would just be like, blindside you. Like, I, where did this come from? The original screenplay was, like, banged out really quickly. And then because they couldn't find a director, then David S. Goyer had his directorial debut and then had to pull double duty. And apparently, I think some of this was disputed pretty recently, but there was a lot of very strong aggression going back and forth between him and Wesley Snipes. I think some of it has been, it was like really, it sounded really bad like a couple of years ago. And then apparently recently there's been some like sanding off of the edges, but I haven't looked into it that much. Apparently like he wouldn't, they wouldn't communicate effectively and they'd pass back like sticky notes effectively. So I can I can understand why it turned out very uh, choppy. I saw some unverified blurbs about uh, a lot of people not getting along and actors and writers and whatever not talking basically. So I mean, if I was Ryan Reynolds there. and I had to walk around that shredded for this movie, being the first time he has been on on gear for a movie easily, I would also be angry and not work well with people. Wesley Snipes is hamming it up and also not caring, seemingly. You can chalk that up to bad directing or a bad performance or a bad performance because of bad directing or whatever, but it's really corny and hammed up. He's smiling all the time because he's cracking one-liners, but also he isn't that important. Like, he's important to the plot because they need his blood or whatever. Because it, it, you always need Blade's blood or you need Drake's blood, um, but, like, he's barely in this thing. He's in the background of most scenes. Yep. And apparently they used a lot of that was a stunt double, like a, like a body double when you weren't using a close-up, like a, a close shot where you can tell you need Wesley Snipes. Mm. Apparently, unverified information. I hadn't noticed that. I could see that because he's just kind of there. Yep. His back is turned a lot. Yep. Just ye. Um, that kind of deals, it, it's just... David S. Goyer is one of those guys that's been around the superhero circuit a lot. Um, like, a lot, a lot. Very up and down in terms of quality. Um, but this was a very rough directing debut. Regardless of the script writing, the directing is... Every once in a while, he'll try something interesting, and it just doesn't work. And then the rest of it is just basic, basic, basic coverage. And one of his later uh, directed films, X-Men Dark Phoenix... Ugh. And it has the same directing. It's just very simple shot, second shot, like shot, reaction shot. Dialogue is just basic over the shoulder shot, reaction shot, basic coverage, mid front, like the same stuff. It's just very boring to watch. It has like none of the visual flair of the first two movies, which both had different types of flair. Blade 2, far more strongly. Lord Guillermo del Toro can direct my movie any day, but just it's so boring and i think a lot of it has to do with how much cg they use primarily in the weapons department i have a big bone to pick with this movie and having 50 new weapons and half of them are fake like 
We got this weird laser vibe. It looks like a Klingon battle F. You know, the... Oh, yeah. It looks like that. But it's got a laser on the front that fries vampires for reasons. And it's all CG. The whole thing, even if they were, like, holding something, it's entirely coated in CG. And it looks atrocious. And also, it just breaks the tone of the other movies. Now it's sci-fi, and he's got a, a knife with a chain on it, which was fine, I guess. That was okay. Yep. It just Except that it was stolen right out of Mortal Kombat or God of War. But, I mean, yeah, but I can live with that. But it's just, it's just new weapons, and they got laser guns, and they got guns with darts in them, and they have guns that shoot arrowheads, and the bows shoot bolt. Like, what the fuck? Everything is just about throwing more technology in this, which takes away from the archaic vampireness of it, which is always cool. And then, you know, got Ryan Reynolds has eight new guns, and then um, freaking Jessica Biel's got, like, 80 new guns, and then they got their, their tech boy who's made more guns. It's like, geez, this is just, it's just too much. And they all look really plasticky and or CG, and I can't stand it. I really hadn't noticed how bad the CG was on the weapons. I mean, there were obvious CG uses, like the laser bow thing. Yeah. But it, it didn't really stick out or bother me that much. But yes, there was an abundance of new characters, new weapons, new everything. It was more than a fresh coat of paint. It was just throw all the new ideas at this. Yeah, it... it yeah. Maybe in concept originally it was an idea of clashing times or new people and young people and their new technology, whatever. Like, you could see something in there was an idea, but it just falls apart. There's no cohesiveness. To, none of it has any meaning. Instead of it being like, oh, Blade's archaic and only uses swords and, like, one gun, even though he's he's always used guns. Like, you could... You could make some way to make it work. Like right. He only uses swords because he's pretentious or whatever. And then they're like, guys, guns work too. And he's like, no. While you were doing drugs, I studied the blade. And then by the end of the movie, he's like, maybe I'll use a gun or whatever. Like, that wouldn't have worked because he's used guns in the other movies. But you know what I mean? Like, you could make something out of that. Old school and new school. Even like... Wonder Woman between movies changing from using a sword and shield to using like a lasso because she deals with mostly civilians instead of being at war like little shit like that it doesn't make a movie but it helps right. it means it's intentional there's attention to detail this is just sloppy the whole thing is really sloppy uh, I did like Patton Oswalt though the nerd they're like <laughs> virgin he's like <laughs> no that's it. It's just it's just virgin and gay jokes, but it was... <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> I thought it was kind of funny. They really cranked up the level of juvenile humor. Oh yeah. Clearly here, we're not opposed to juvenile humor. Cock and balls. <laughs> Dick butt. Like I said, it feels like this was made by teenagers. Not in terms of, like, skill level, but in terms of, like, what they care about. Just, it's big, it's flashy... It's really, really low quality, and everything's a dick joke. Like, Ryan Reynolds making dick jokes is gold. Kind of it's, expected. It's always been gold. This kind of started that. Right. But that's it, and kind of all the characters do it? Yeah. I, I don't know. It just... Can we talk about Drake? 
Can we talk about Drake? I was going to move on because I was memeing through the whole movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, at the very end when they shoot the arrow that stops vampirism or whatever, cures it at Dracula, Drake, whatever... I was like, well, boys, we did it. We stopped vampirism. Because <laughs> that's what it felt like. That was the end. Arrow, poof. No more vampires. End of movie. Yeah. There was no resolution after they fixed him. It was just, all right, he's fixed now. Yeah, it was. I, I kind of just think of this now. Maybe originally, like way back on original concept of this movie, it was... Like, Blade feels kind of old and, like, um, archaic and, like, outdated compared to these new, hip young people who are only, like, ten years younger than him, but whatever. You know how Hollywood does that. Mm-hmm. Um, but then Dracula is, like, so old. And then, like, there's, there's like, conflict because he's, like, I see value in both of these ideas. and Because, you know, Dracula at the end is like, ah, you've fought with honor. I respect you. Let me pretend to be you as I die or whatever that thing was like I can I can't tell what you were going for but I can see that there were ideas and if I had yarn maybe I could try to connect them but I don't care enough to try there was something in here also Whistler dies which is kind of lame he just Mm. gets blown up he's like no leave the warehouse which definitely felt like it was he was gonna come back later and he didn't I'm glad he didn't because they already did that. So fair. Yeah. It's just strange. It's a weird movie. It's not atrocious. It's good for memeing. Like it this is not the worst thing I've ever seen. I actually had I, I it's improved since my last viewing. Hmm. Not by much, but it's just it's so aggressively mediocre. That sets me up for my final point. Each entry of this trilogy is a different kind of camp. Yes. And I think that they're all mediocre just for different reasons. I don't like you. Can you leave my house? This one, you can see it for what it should have been. Like, yeah, the action is cranked up, and it's usually better than the first one was. The action in the first one kind of sucked. But, like you've been saying, it goes too far. So it should have been rained back a little bit. But the the fights are clearly bigger. And there was more effort put into them, even if there was CG and, and more wires and whatever. Like, it should have been rained back. It should have been cut and snipped and fixed a little bit better. But there was more effort put into the fights than the first one, I think. But that, I suppose. Like, the levels of each topic go up and down per movie. And I think it all evens out to be the same. I enjoyed the second one the most because it was the most moderate, the most tolerable. I don't know. Even keeled. You can complain about each of these movies about something. I still can't believe you guys don't like Blade 2 that much. Like, come on. You guys have shit taste. Blade 2 is amazing. Like I said, that one was my favorite. But I finished this one and was like, it wasn't that bad. This trilogy is just camp. You have to go into it expecting camp and not the greatest of movies. And then with that expectation, you're not going to be disappointed. I suppose. I don't know. I just, 
it feels like there's a varying, uh, like a very different level of care put into the camp. Like, yes, the character in and of itself is campy, like on base premise from the comics. Like that's just how it is. And then the first movie was very clearly of the time and stuff. And then the second one was definitely campy, but it was very intentional. Everything did feel cared about. And then this one's just. Ha! Her vagina's got teeth. Like, what the fuck? I, it's camp, I guess, but it's garbage camp. It just, I don't know. It's so, it's aggressively mediocre. I think I've used that a few times recently. It's a good term. It's like, it's not garbage, but it's trying so hard and it's not, it's not winning any of its battles. Right. Except Ryan Reynolds having abs. Them steroids really did wonders. Vampire dog, vampire dogs. Did you see that coming? Just vampire dogs. Why? Because vampire dogs. I have to talk about Drake. I'm sorry. I have to roll back to that. So vampire dogs for one, but they're not just vampire dogs. They're the genetic mutants from the second movie that have, like, the opening up jaw with the second tongue thing. Why? That seems so sloppy. And then Dracula is, like, a tank. It's not because he's, like, the original vampire. He has no genetic defects or whatever, so he can, like, walk in daylight and whatever. And making him look like a young strong boy makes sense I guess but then the voice modulation was garbage very very bad and then he apparently doesn't have like normal bone structure like he has a bajillion little bones and that's why he can transfer like he can shape shift but his normal quote unquote form is like this weird monster looking thing but it's like big and bulky and very clearly a suit and it's so I don't understand where that was going it just it cool you want to give it a scientific reason why he can shapeshift and whatever that's fine making him the progenitor of the species is totally cool why does he just turn into like this giant he look like a beetle like he's got armor plating i kind of don't mind it it's so ugly that's the point but he's the king of the vampires how does it look like a vampire i don't know even if, the you know, it clearly had effort put into it, whatever, I guess the design could work for it. He looks like a demon. He doesn't look like a vampire. Like a, Vampires have always had a demonic overtone. Yes. Undertone. Whatever. Tone. You're not wrong, but I when I think of vampires and demonicism, I think more like uh, sneaky, whispery stuff, whatever. I don't know. There's a, I'm not thinking like Hellboy demons when I think vampires. When I think vampires and demons, I'm thinking like they're demons as in they're so bad and evil and whatever. Like we can classify them as demons because they have like some occult powers and whatever, but not like they're literal devils. Like that's, I've never gotten that ever off of anything except this movie. And I think it's kind of crap. Because now he looks like a Hellboy villain mm. instead of a blood-sucking sword boy. Now he can just punch him. I guess I can see that, sort of. He's not a Hellboy villain. He's more of like a spook wisp in the night. Not just 
I have, you know, not gen- I've, I've always ranted about generic stuff, like tall capes and like pointy teeth and the slick, like the generic, um, like universal monster stuff. I don't like that. I, it, it, Go back to the original source material, and most of it, at least that I've encountered, is sneaky little weird sex demons. So not I'm gonna punch him and slash him with a sword. I don't, nah, make so me angry. We're going to change the formula a little bit because Colin isn't here. Change the form. Spencer and I have a common topic that we would like to talk about uh, in our comic common topic section instead of individual reviews. So speaking of not amazing movies, let's talk about Black Widow of 2021. Back to formula. <laughs> I can't talk Green Goblin. Yeah, Black Widow. Uh, directed by Kate Shortland. Uh, screenplay by Eric Pearson. Story by uh, Jack Schaefer and Ned Benson. So... Do you want to give a summary of this? Because I have, like, a written review, unlike what I normally have. Do you want to uh, just... Yeah. Let what? me find something online. Because <laughs> I'm not going to be able to do a simple summary. The summary you're going to get is Natasha Romanoff grapples with her troubled past, basically. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Natasha Romanoff, a.k.a. Black Widow, confronts the darker parts of her ledger when a dangerous conspiracy with ties to her past arises. That's generic as hell. Pursued by a force that will stop at nothing to bring her down, Natasha must deal with her history as a spy and the broken relationships left in her wake long before she became an Avenger. And then we're going to end the movie on a helicarrier just like any other Marvel movie. I added that last part. Ah, okay. That makes more sense. Um, that, yeah. Please start. I was killing Spencer when we were in the movie theater watching this because of one of the top themes that this movie was going for, and that is family. (laughs) (laughs) For people listening in the future, years from now, when we've made it famous and people want to hear where we came from, our roots. Uh, It's a very, very popular meme format because of Fast and Furious 51, I think, just came out? No, 52. It's when they cross over with the DC Universe. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, uh, it spawned a massively cancerous meme format it does this every time a new movie comes out and this has been the worst one it's so bad it was enough to get spencer off of reddit i genuinely uninstalled reddit and didn't go on social media for a couple of days for this to pass it was horrible. and that is every single meme at some point had to mention family yeah because... don toretto shows up and you see vin diesel's ugly fucking mug and it's just family yes i have no idea why it's funny i've never seen a fast and furious movie don't. So, I was killing Spencer by saying family I was, through the movie. I was going to reach over there and start beating you. Just like family. But it was too funny not to do to him. But yes, family. There's a lot of family in this movie. Can you give an actual summary? <sighs> Fine, I'll do it. It starts out with spy stuff it turns into family stuff and then ends as final fight on a helicarrier stuff. Yeah, that's fine enough. Okay. 
Um, yeah. So, I'm, yeah, I'm just going to read my review. Do it. I'm going to try really hard not to ramble on this one. Um, so the largest issue with this movie is that it's five years too late. The overall story is decent, but the plot goes off the rails at the midway point. Uh, good dialogue and excellent performances from a stellar cast cannot salvage Black Widow from the dreaded, quote, Marvel Studios second unit takes over and it's all CG and explosions, end quote, issue. The uh, Bourne influence is clear and executed competently in the first half, but should have been leaned into way more directly. Uh, the hand-to-hand combat is well choreographed, but not over-edited for the most part. Um, and the fully CG slash mocap fights are extremely undercooked. Um, this should have been made and released in like 2016 or 17 and or made into a Disney Plus series. I genuinely believe you could have told almost everything in this story over a series and it would have been better. Um, and able to like actually give the character the respect she deserves, which clearly isn't what Marvel Studios is aiming for. Um... Florence Pugh's supremacy, yada, yada, yada. Um, don't, don't let me start talking about how horrible Taskmaster is. Um, every review of this movie on the internet is correct, genuinely. It's, sadly, another forgettable MCU flick which had the potential to be incredible. I felt it was overall fine, I guess, but it just didn't commit to one thing. It spreads itself too thin over a couple genres and plots like i said you've got the spy stuff that would have been really really cool in the beginning and then there's a huge section of family that is trying to develop characters which is fine those two plots that that should have been the movie yes those two could have fit together well but floating red room (sighs) is where it falls apart yeah and I think you said on the way home, like, the years that this has been on the shelf, they couldn't have put five people in a room to continue baking the CG at the end? Even the CG, maybe clean up the editing a little bit, like, anything. It just... There were some atrocious explosions behind character running away from them. In the end. I mean, frankly, those couldn't have been avoided because they were already ignoring massive amounts of their internal, like, logic of the movie anyway. So it's always going to look bad because she would have been fried. Like, regardless. It's just... The, Salvat, the things that are genuinely good in this movie, I do think almost all the performances were really good. Yes, absolutely. Um, uh, the villain, whose name I don't remember, I actually thought he did really well in the couple of scenes that he was in. I enjoyed the idea of, like, essentially setting up this whole... The villain's just essentially an abuser. Like, I really liked that, like, setup premise of him, like, pumping out these generations on generations of uh, just, like, murder machine women. I liked that stuff. And he really came came across as just, like, that really scummy piece of crap you want to kick the crap out of, but, like, you can't because, like, stuff will happen. Like, it it, it gave me that, like, very tangibly. And then the whole scene got undercut because she knew what was going to happen the whole time and she was performing. That killed me. He there's two sides to that. So he's in the middle of a huge exposition dump. So while you're watching it, you're like, this scene is going on too long. But it also feels like there should have been more of him because it's like, here's the final villain. Boom. Yeah. Bad guy. Boom. Dead. Like, he should have been sprinkled through the whole movie so that you really hate him by the time you get to see him. Yep. And you already know what's going on. Yeah, for sure. I, it just, oh, 
Also, just, I have to rail on that moment. I actually did find the whole break the nose on the desk bit funny. And I think it was supposed to be funny. Like, it wasn't like a, a lull, like a, a good old rolling on the floor. But like, okay, that that was a decent moment. That but was it, good. But in retro, as soon it as you was... move to the next scene, it's like, wait a minute, that undercut that whole scene, dramatically speaking. Oh, yeah. That's really obnoxious. I don't think it was breaking her nose. I thought it was like crunching the chip in her forehead, but it's whatever. It's like in it, here, yeah. I like took it as a big oof, like, oh. Oh, that looked. I of her. The sound, the sound design on that was actually Yes. Fun. I did not actually chuckle or whatever at it. I, I was like, I, ugh, I like gross. cringe laughed. And yes. I was like, oh. Wait, wait a oh, That was really disappointing. Yep. But I just, I don't know. Florence Pugh was awesome. I, I have to I, I have to say it just like every other fanboy on the internet she's clearly the reason this movie was really made is so they can pull her into present day and use her in the future spoilers Black Widow dies we knew that <laughs> I really like where that's going I younger sister Black Widow has an army of Black Widows to go save Black Widows and then there's gonna be a bigger army of Black Widows where is that going? I'm excited. I feel like the... I, I'm, I think you're half right. I'm very confident that those widows are all dispersed by now. I think they're all going their own separate ways. I feel like you that's gonna... You can go your own way! <laughs> yeah, I, I feel like that's like a, they got their crap together over a couple of years and they were kind of all sent out to just live their own lives. But her going on a revenge mission for what is essentially miscommunication because Hawkeye didn't kill Black Widow is actually pretty pretty neat. I, I think that's cool. Also, we have a Hawkeye TV show coming up here quick. Which is what she's going to be appearing in as well. Confirmed. Um, but, like... Whoa. Yeah. I that, that last scene was actually pretty good. Like, the... I liked the whistling motif. It just... It was so sad. It was literally only used three times. Like, that... We're only going to introduce it in this one movie, so you have to make that punchy. You have to use that well to be like, ooh, we got to make something that'll make you feel things. They used it once in the beginning, once right before the final battle, and then at the end. And that was it. So it's like, oh, she did that at the beginning of the movie. It just, it's trying to be earnest, and it didn't earn that. Those things usually always come across as lame. They're, it's, it's a really tricky thing to nail. I can't think of a good one. I can't off the top of my head, but it's I'm not thinking about it right now. But I have to say the la the, the the post credit scene, not like the little stinger of her getting the helicarrier, not the helicarrier, getting a Quinjet to go help Captain America, that was fine as an ending. It was like, oh, it this movie literally takes place between the end of Civil War and the end scene of Civil War. That's kinda neat. Also, I'm kind of annoyed. That we never got to see that breakout? Because that would have been freaking cool. No, oh. that the Phil Coulson replacement basically you mean, is it, kind of introduced in this movie, but we've already seen her in Falcon yeah, Winter Soldier this because was COVID effed everything up. Yeah, because this was supposed to come up first where she was named. And right. And she just appears in... It makes more sense if they're flipped, right. admittedly. It makes me feel a lot better because watching Falcon Winter Soldier, I'm like, who the... What? Yeah, yeah for sure. I, I just... That scene was really good, but I did not like how... I, I'm very much so of two minds. I understand you want her to come across like kind of a bitch, so you're like, she ruins the emotional moment by blowing her nose like a... But also, you ruined the emotional moment by blowing your nose. Marvel, stop undercutting your emotional scenes with jokes, please. 
stop. Anger. They're really doing the same thing with her that they did with Coulson. He came across quite unfeeling. A little bit. And then turned into a teddy bear. I suppose, but also she's assembling a bad guy team of bad guys. Of bad guys. Mm. So they do bad guy things. I don't know. So this is a suicide squad. Kidding, only kidding. Kind of. I mean, it's either going to be Dark Avengers or Thunderbolts. It's probably going to be Thunderbolts. Can we get Red Hulk, please? Moving on. Mm, So our other topic in common, we have Bad Batch episode of 14... Did you watch it? Aha, that was a good transition from Dark Avengers Thunderbolts to Bad Batch. I didn't realize that. I'm smart. Accidentally. Yeah. So this episode has uh, the boys and the girl uh, and their droid go after Gregor. Um, So Rex sends them off on a mission while they're in the middle of a mission, I'm assuming, for money. Um, Yes. So then they go go rescue um, a clone trooper. We get to see proto stormtroopers and commandos. Please tell me what that is in reference to. Is that rebels or is that um, uh, freaking New Hope? The stormtroopers or the commandos? Stormtroopers, I think, is from New Hope, right? Yeah, they're just stormtroopers. It, yeah. So yeah, it's um. They say they literally say they have new armor or updated armor yes. or something like that. Yeah. So uh, there's a couple of things. One, they're modeled after the original concept art from Ralph McQuarrie, which was really freaking cool. Right. And then they use kind of a similar helmet design for like the cadet, like the the stormtrooper cadets and rebels, which I, I just realized after watching it. Like, just, like, the almost, like, mini helmet on top of the helmet type deal. Right, Um, Those were really cool. And the commando was just... Ooh, I remember those. He's got blue lights. You didn't know that? Republic Republic Commando? In the game? Yeah. I haven't played it. So good. Okay. Also, just they they just look cool. That was ODST before ODST was the thing. Where does that fall in the timeline? It just exists. Now it's canonical of thing. thing. That's it. It's simple. It doesn't mean... It, it, it just goes... The, the Republic commandos are... I guess Imperial commandos. That's just... It's a new subdivision. It's okay. cool. So now the Empire is transitioning from clone troopers to stormtroopers. Uh, they're booting out the Kaminoans. Um, Gregor is weird because Gregor was always weird. I just... My bigger point of this episode that I really like is how we're following up on so many of the named uh, clone, like, captains and and, uh, commanders that we saw in the Clone Wars. Like, we're getting wrap-up on all of them, and it just, it feels really cool. Um, I didn't know Gregor, but I don't think I've seen him in Clone Wars yet, so... Yeah, he's way at the end. And only for, like, an episode or two, but... Uh, the, the tone was a little, a little, little, little bit darker. Yes. A little bit. And Just I like it. A little bit. The music was really, really good. This episode's plot made me think that they could turn the Bad Batch into a really good video game. So here's my... It does feel almost fetch questy, but not like Rise of Skywalker fetch questy. Here's my pitch. The characters of Bad Batch, you have Uncle Rambo, Hunter, uh, Uncle Echo, Uncle Tech, Uncle Wrecker, and Omega, right? Child, yes. Yes. So that's five people. 
if you remove one character, it changes the mission style. True. So, in this episode, they have... I mean, we had that at the beginning a little bit, didn't we? Wrecker and Omega go back to the ship, and you had Hunter, Echo, and Tech going to explore, and it's immediately a recon mission. It's a turn-based combat video game. (laughs) But, like, if you have Tech stay home and send Wrecker, you have Hunter... Echo and Wrecker, and you kind of well-balanced out. Yeah. You've got some sneak, some tech, and some muscle. Stab. So, like, have any, yes. any three, and you've got a different application. They are dynamic and modular. Mm. I'm pulling out all my corporate words. Gross. Yeah. I have to say... Gonk finally getting some some play in this episode felt really nice. Some usage. They finally the thing that they set up early like it's just oh they have a gonk droid you know it's like oh they have a gonk droid will that ever go anywhere they just have a gonk droid He's every a DLC character every episode they just oh look it's gonk it's a gonk and this episode he does something. He's a DLC character to my video game. <laughs> no, he lives in the hub world, which is your ship. Oh. I don't. I just. Uh, it was nice. It's like, oh look, the stupid gonk droid did something useful. It was quite tense. The the fight chase scene pickup. Like, I don't. I don't know how you want to describe the, like, it. The part trying in the... to rescue the whole crew at the end. I was like, are they gonna leave this? Are we gonna open ended or are they gonna pull it together in the last few seconds of the episode? And it turns out it's continued. But it was. It really could have gone either way. Like, the whole time. And it was really tense, and I like it. Yes. It's not like like... R-rated movie tense. It's still PG. Yeah, it's still for small babies. Yeah, no. Very good. One of the better episodes, for sure. Yes. I am looking forward to the last two. This finale is going to be very fun. Mm Mm-hmm. Who's going to die? Crosshair. Easy. What if he doesn't? (gasps) The game is set before this show, so you have Crosshair as part of the band, too. <laughs> uh, the end of the game starts with Order 66. Yeah. Wow. We can make this game, that la- that last mission they were talking about, when the thing starts. Because they just they just finished a mission when the, when the, the, the long episode starts at the beginning. Bring back 1313 and it's secretly a Bad Batch game. Oh my gosh. Star Wars nerds in their 1313. I... Really don't care about thirteen thirteen. Yeah. I just like using it as a meme. Yes, we've talked about that a few times. Yep. Um, what have you been up to? Uh, I'm gonna double down on Black Widow because I read the twenty issue run of Black Widow from 2014, written by Nathan Edmondson and art by Phil Noto. You would know the cover if you look it up. Probably. Um. I feel bad about getting into the bad stuff immediately, but the art is really, really soft. It feels underbaked. It's like hard pencils, and that's it. It's rough. Hmm. I really... Not a fan. No! Wow. And I feel bad for saying it, because it makes it look unique. You look at it, and you're like, oh, that's Widow from 2014. Like, there's nothing that looks like it, really, kind of. But it should look a little bit 
better, more defined, something. I don't know. Art Boy isn't here to help me, help correct me. So Colin would, if Colin was here, he would take about eight minutes to tell us about how he is an artist, and that because he's an artist, he knows art things, and then he'd spend 30 seconds maybe telling us what you're actually talking about, and then he'd go, you're wrong, but I can't do that either. And then we'd go back to normal. <laughs> yes. It's not really inked or shaded either. There's not a lot of detail or effort, it felt like, put into the artwork. So it's boring to look at. The story is a passable, just passable spy stuff. So kind of like what we wanted the movie to be. She goes on missions and does the mission, and that's the end of the issue. Like, so it's, it's very small stuff. Is she wearing the black leather onesie with the yellow belt with the, the emblem on it? Is it that outfit? I don't remember. There's a lot of black leather, but like I said, it's not very well defined. So. Wow. Yeah. Passable spy stuff, like the movie should have been. Oof. Uh, but nothing that really sticks out on my mind as, oh, and then she went and did this. It's just generic. That's disappointing. Wow. Yeah. How amazing. I had much higher hopes for this. I believe it was a, I don't remember how long the run was, but Ed Brubaker did a run on Black Widow as well, and she crossed over with the Winter Soldier, and that stuff was phenomenal. Ed Brubaker writing Captain America and, like, Black Widow-related characters is bonkers good. That sounds really, really good. Very good. So I read the 10th issue of All-Star Batman and Robin the Boy Wonder. So we talked about the first nine issues last week, which are collected in the main, the normal trade book. And then there's the Absolute Edition. I don't know why they'd ever release that. Um, which includes all ten. The The first nine are one arc, and then this this tenth issue sets up another arc, so I get why the trade was set up like that. But the run stopped after this because it was being published so sporadically and received horribly. Um, okay. So you know how I said the last issue, issue nine, was like kind of actually pretty okay? Yes. Eh, this one isn't, um, which is really disappointing. So we kick off a new arc. We go back to hanging out with our boy, James Gordon, which was really nice to see. He looks really freaking cool in Jim Lee's art. Um, so this is the first in, in this universe, in Earth-31, um, this is the first time we've seen James Gordon since the end of Batman Year One. So we're following up from that. Um, so Barbara has grown up um, a bit. So she's like 15, I believe, in this book. So... She just decides to start Batgirling, like, on her own. She's no, she, like, takes inspiration from Batman. I, I, I have always kind of liked that. She, like, gets pulled into the fold. Yep. It helps make her more of a, like, yeah, Batman's a father figure, but he is not her father. She has a father. Like, I, I like how Babs is the most independent of the Bat family. She's also the most well-developed individual. She's also the yep. least traumatized. Even though she's the most traumatized, she's the most recovered from it, which is really cool. But uh, she's just had a 15 and just vibing. She's just punching people and stuff in a, in a Batgirl costume. Um, and that coalesces with Jim, who's having marital problems. I know, right? Um, 
Barbara, his wife, uh, gets drunk and gets, like, wrapped around a tree. So she goes to the hospital. Um, it, that's about it. Like, this has no plot in it. It's short. Um, we do see Batman and Robin very briefly. Um, they're fine, I guess. They're to the point of, it, it, they are, their dynamic actually feels right. Like, after the last issue, this is just, he's a, he's a little boy soldier, but he's got daddy problems. But, like, it's not, he, he's in his place like he's not being like a little snot anymore you know like he's Mm -hmm. just he's just yes sir yes sir yes sir batman's angry as hell um james gordon also references him as the goddamn batman so that meme continues um not sure how i feel about that but there's like just there's nothing really else to this um there was one thing that i did really like though um and that is that barbara gordon parallels carrie kelly in the dark knight returns partially in terms of aesthetic choice, but also in terms of panel layout um, and, like, framing. She does a lot of the same poses with a very similar attitude, and she uses not the same slang, but, like, same Frank Miller trying to write a young kid, but it kind of works okay, unlike all the other books where his girl dialogue is atrocious. Um, And none of the women in this book feel like a piece of meat, which for Frank Miller is impressive. Um, It's really it. That's all I got. The, the Batgirl outfit looks okay. It sets up an... It's starting to set up a new plot. So so Babs being like two, three years older than um, Dick Grayson, and they're both active at the same... I, that's... that Okay, that makes more sense as like setup-wise. It doesn't go anywhere. The series is dead. So it's weird. Yeah. I gave it I gave it a two out of five. It's like, it's fine. Just like the rest of the series... Uh, about, yeah, it was just that last issue that was a bit of a step up. Hmm. Yeah. Um, so that's all I, all I got. So I watched the entire second season of Westworld. Ooh. Booby robots. I'll, I'll start with the good stuff. I appreciate that they pick up right where the end of season one left off. And they try to wrap it up. Logically, they, they're trying to follow through with the events of the last season. They could have easily settled for just another season one, basically. But it went in a really weird direction, and it took way too long to get there. It, it took the whole season to wrap up the last episode of season one. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. It is nowhere near as good as season one. Season one has clear points and stories and less stories and morals that it wants to talk about. (laughs) You're the one that has to suffer through editing because I'm not saying it again. Oh, fuck you. For Spencer and editing, I'm opening <laughs> I'm opening up sparkling water. Make a meme. Season two finally amped up in quality in the last two, maybe three episodes. It was like finally picking up the pace and finishing the fight. It 
feels like it's finally going to move on in season three. So season three is season two. Got it. Basically. I mean... Ugh. Yeah. I really liked that they finally introduced and actually crossed over the other worlds in the park. So you have Samurai World, and you got freaking... Finally, Indians in Westworld, and I think there was another one in reality. So there were, like, four armies, basically. Five armies. I don't know. Did the eagles show up? No, there were no eagles. Fine. Were there wargs? No. That's Not very, that I could think of. That's very just. But there were samurai. This is acceptable. Your turn. Last one. Go. So I read the first volume of Hellblazer, uh, Original Sin, which collects the first nine issues, as well as some Swamp Thing tie-ins, um, which was the introduction of the character to the world at large um, in 88. So I freaking love John Constantine, the character. I like the movie. I like the show. I like the animated movie. I like him in everything that I've ever seen him in. <sighs> He's got a bit of a rough start here, to be honest. Um, the character in and of itself is is pretty clear from the start, but the rest of it is pretty pretty rough. Um, just feels not not underbaked, but more like I don't know. Underbaked isn't the right word, but it feels like it wasn't quite ready yet. It needed a little bit more thought put into it first. I don't know. It's not quite what the character came to be yeah, that everyone it, knows and loves. It evolved better now. So yes. maybe it was intended differently. I don't know. Um, but it was written by uh, Jamie Delano uh, and then illustrated, uh, also written by uh, Rich Veitch and then illustrated by John Ridgway. So this was very clearly um, printed on yellow cheap newspaper paper in the 80s and the art style fits. It just If you've read a book from that time, published that way, you know what I'm talking about. It's not bad. Sometimes it can be really cool, but just because of that, it, it relies on the medium of which it was built for, and when it's updated and digitized and then recolored, or very sloppily recolored, in my opinion, of this reprint, um, it's fine. Sometimes it's disgustingly horrifying in the right ways, and then other times it's just, just kind of ugly to look at. Um, the dialogue is very slang heavy of, you know, 80s UK, which I don't mind. Sometimes I have to look up a term. Sometimes I don't, um, which I, I don't mind that. It makes reading a little slower sometimes. Um, Smoke means something very different today. And this book also uses it in the derogatory sense as well. And then like two panels later, it's also talking about a cigarette. It's like, oh my goodness, they did not care. Holy cow. But... My, uh, uh, on the whole, I really appreciate just the character in of itself. You can see the ideas of what we would know now in terms of it's a very explicitly political book. Um, it, the, the weird cult setup, the, the holy war essentially, but it's not like a holy war. It's a holy war. You know what I mean? Like it, it, from John Constantine's perspective, heaven and hell are both fucked, um, which has evolved very differently over each iteration on how they're portrayed and whatever. So, like, in the beginning, at least for this, we have these... The demons are just kind of, like, sloppy, fat, ugly, weird demon things. And then in, you know, the 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 people 
at the moment that we've seen that are quote-unquote fighting on the side of heaven are essentially the Westboro Baptist Church. <clears throat> you can understand why John's like, holy cow, these are all horrible. I'm just going to do my own shenanigans. Um, so, th so that stuff was nice. I appreciate that. But the individual stories don't... It's one of those, kind of like Hellboy, where the anecdotal kind of random stories have like one element that'll tie into the plot later. So it has set up and payoff by the end of the book. It just, I don't know. The issues are also pretty big, which is nice. So each story is one issue, mm -hmm. but something is just kind of rough. It really might just be the art. If it was done differently or, or if it was cleaned up a little bit better in the republishing, maybe I'd like it more because it's just kind of distracting. The colors are gaudy and garish, which was very of the times because of limited colors. Something, admittedly, I think Marvel handled a lot better in early publishing up until, like, the 90s versus DC and then the indie publishers was using their limited colors, like, spectrum way better. I'm going to keep reading it. I'm going to read all 26 of these books as well as the uh, New 52 books, then the Rebirth books, then the other Rebirth books. Then I'll finally be caught up to the current ongoing Black Label books. But I, I hope it, it gets a little bit better. Rough start. Definitely a rough start. Not not horrible. It, 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 I worked through it in a couple of days, but... Mm. How are you reading it? Physical book. Really? Yeah. Right over there. Okay, cool. I do have to say, they really do just dive headfirst into the edgy topics, though. Like, holy crap. Like, the third issue is like, ah, uh, we, got, we got statutory rape and child marriage. FBI! Just, it just goes for it, which I admire the balls of. Just sometimes, it, it makes your stomach drop a little bit, and I think that's very intentional, and I appreciate that. I don't know what horrific demonic comics you read, but I encounter that all the time. What shit are you reading? <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> Harry Potter or something? You reading that sorcery junk, young man? We do not allow that in this household. Only while I listen to heavy metal. Roll credits. Thank you to our patrons. <gasps> Jacob knows how to pronounce a word. Congratulations. I knew you would jizz all over the mic for that. <coughs> Don't joke. Caught some. Mm. Business Casual, Jeff Lawrence, and Wesley Eaton, thank you all for your support. We appreciate every penny of it. Anybody listening that wants to throw pennies at us for the lulls can go over to patreon.com forward slash dime comic bros. Give us money. We love it. Thank you. We do love money. And we love you, the listeners. But do we don't we? love each other. That yeah. is apparent. That, yeah, That's that. why we spend one day of every single weekend together in a room yelling at each other. And we record it. And we sell it for other people's entertainment. True. Also, a big thank you over to our partners at Jetpack Comics and Games. Uh, and located in downtown Rochester. Uh, they're pretty heckin' cool. Got some cool people and some cool stuff. You, they have exactly what you'd expect. You got comics, you got individual issues, you got new stuff, you got some back issues, you got the sale room, you got collected editions, you got some statues, some knickknacks. Posters. They do have posters. 
Um, a lot of signed posters. True. We got some assorted jetpack swaggeroo. Uh, and some cool people to talk to if you are bored or just want to not be at home. I'm not projecting at all. I don't spend too much time in there talking to nerds at all. So next week, we will be discussing the Dark Knight... Master Race. I was trying to f- figure out how to phrase it, because every time the book gets republished, it, the name gets tweaked. What? Because, you know, like, even the second book was like, DK2, and it's like, Dark Knight Strikes Again. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Batman, Dark Knight Strikes Again. and I was bat- So I have to... Every book is dumb and quirky like that. Yeah, Dark Knight 3, Master Race... Batman, PC Gamer. Continue. Yes. Um, yeah, so next week, all three of us will be discussing Dark Knight 3, Master Race, which came out in 2015. Um, yes, so that'll be done. We will discuss it with Colin. Um, there'll be a lot of reading, I feel like. That's it for Frank Miller's Batman run, right? No. Ah, oh, crap, there's Golden Child or whatever, we right? Have, we got more. But to be fair... Most of the rest of them are at least at the quality of, of last... The next ones are actually okay, so it won't be all pain. I swear. The yeah. pain is over. No, not yet. Dang it. The dreams are not gone. Uh, tune in next week whilst we discuss uh, more Batman. And then we'll do it again the week after that, because there's always more Batman. The real Batman are the friends we made along the way. Please kill me. That was really bad. <laughs>
Nope. Oh, shit! Okay, no, we're good. Right. I didn't remember if I talked about that or not. Give me pictures of Spider-Man! Uh, Superman Year One. Ugh, Year One. The guy at Jetpack was trying to not sell you that book when you <laughs> I bought know. It. That I was, was like, so funny. Why are you buying this from us? You don't have to do this. That's how cool Jetpack is. They advise you against poor decisions. Yeah, and then I was like, Kyle, I like pain. And then he got really uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> um, but he understood. Ah, uh, true. It's a very understanding group behind the counter at Jetpack Comics and Games in Rochester, New Hampshire. Very, very true.